Hello, everybody. This is the Working 218 Podcast. I am your host, Craig Johnson, and this week I am joined for episode number eight by Patrick from Jack Pine Brewery. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks for having me. It's really a pleasure for me. So you're, you've, we've talked a little bit about the podcast. You know a little bit about what's going on. So yep. the mission of the podcast is simple. Working 218 is out to connect entrepreneurs through a collection of stories, learning what passions have landed and or kept them here to live their dream of owning and operating their businesses in northern Minnesota. Easy enough? Very cool, yeah. <laughs> so, Patrick, you are the owner of Jack Pine Brewery, and kind of what my, my thought process behind the podcast is, we get to know you as a person, we get to know each other a little better. I mean, you and I know each other pretty well. I, I Over a few beers. You know, <laughs> just a few. Beer. And, you know, honesty always comes out of beer. It does. Isn't that weird? It does. Yeah. <laughs> so, welcome to the show. I understand this is your first podcast ever. It is my first po- first podcast ever. I've been on the radio a couple times, but not not on a podcast. Well, that's crazy. So here's the deal: nobody's listening live, so we're not going to have any call-ins. Um, we should do that someday. That'd be fun. That'd be good to learn how to do. Yeah. Future problems. Absolutely. So, uh, future opportunities. Let's yes. look at it that way. So, there's no crowd, no audience here that we need to worry about cheering or booing for us. So we're just going to sit here, have a discussion and hopefully see what we've learned along our paths to where we are. And hopefully we can help someone else that wants to start their own project. Wonderful. Yeah. I've learned there's so much of a learning process. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. The stuff that we've talked about over the beers at the, at the brewery in Baxter. One of the things that always intrigues me is where does this start? How did you like where did you grow up? How did you get into beer before even starting uh, Jack Pine? Yeah, I mean, it's it really started as a hobby. It started as homebrewing. Um, I picked up homebrewing in college just kind of as, you know, an, an interest of what's going on. Um, and it just it just kind of went from there. Um, it wasn't it was a hobby that I wasn't really that into to begin with. Um, it was it was fun. Uh, I was a math and physics major in college, so the science behind brewing was really you know kind of sparked my interest. Uh, but then you know you get into it, you know, I mean you get beer at the end of it, which is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody in college wants beer. For a college kid. <laughs> um, but it, the the beer scene at that time. I mean, this was the you know this was the two thousands. Um, you know, around about there, and it was. An, you know, it was in Moorhead, Minnesota, and there weren't that many different beers out there. You know, the imports were showing up. Um, there were a few major regional brands that that were were in the area, but you know, the variety of beer it was it was actually a little bit of a challenge to try to find a variety of beer um, at that time. Well, so you you see our notebooks here. We got no notes, so there's not like a plan. This isn't an interview. I think I told you this isn't going to be like anything you've ever done. We're just going to sit and chat. So this morning, I'm like, what am I going to talk to Pat about? So asked Renee this morning on the couch. I said, is there anything I need to specifically ask him or something you think about? One of my thoughts that came to mind was, all growing up, you know, beer is bad, alcohol is bad, don't want to do this, you'd never do that, you know, that whatever. Now there's college classes on beer. Yeah, there's <laughs> beer appreciation classes, and uh, it's it's really interesting. I mean, my my parents didn't drink when I was a kid, um, and it wasn't it was never that alcohol or beer was was demonized or anything like that. It mm-hmm. was just 
it just wasn't something that was in my house uh, or in our house, you know, growing up as a kid. So, you know, moving off to college, it's like, okay, you start, start exploring a little bit and, and turn 21 and start really delving into this whole world of, of beer and booze and alcohol. And, and it just, I mean, the group of group of friends that I hung out with were much more interested in what we were drinking than how much we were drinking. So it, it kind of, I don't know if I accidentally stumbled upon that, but there's always been, there's always been kind of that, that, you know, that interest in, okay, what is this actually, you know, what I'm actually drinking, um, rather than just, you know, quantity based, um, that often college, uh, <laughs> follows. <laughs> so instead of quantity, you wanted to know what you were drinking, what, what intrigued you more about what you're drinking instead of how much? Because that's not necess- That's not the normal thing. I, I, I know it's not. But it's, it's well. It, I don't know. You start tasting things. It's like okay, why? Why does it taste this way? You know, how does this? You know, st- it, you know, starting home brewing roughly about the time that that I started drinking, it was like okay, I know how some of these flavors get made. It's like, and then as you're drinking it, it kind of s- really strikes that that interesting question. It's like, okay, wh- where's this coming from? It's like, how can I make this? Can I make this? It's like, where, you know, that's, that's the science aspect of it too. It's like, I want to kind of de- deconstruct this and, and, you know, can I make something like this, but maybe better or different or, so that really, that, that's where the interest came from. Um, and then I was homebrewing three or four batches uh, a year, um, nothing real serious. Um, and it really wasn't until I met my wife at college um, and we moved back to her, this is her hometown of, of yeah. uh, Baxter's, her hometown. And we moved back here and eventually got a house and a garage and moved my brewing equipment out to the garage and started collecting more and more. So that's kind of where, if there was kind of a turning point, turning point that really things got going, it was, it was the garage. Um, so when you, when you brewed at home, you said you brewed five, six, seven batches a year. How yeah, well, how once, much at a time were you brewing? They're all five-gallon batches. It's always five yeah. gallons? Home brewing okay. is, is typically a five-gallon batch. That's pretty standard. Um, all the recipes out there are, you know, so you get about two cases of beer. Okay. Uh, two, two 24 packs of beer out of it. Um, but yeah, once I got the garage, I started brewing more frequently. Uh, I got myself hooked up with the kegging system. So the old, old soda kegs um, that were generate or they were eventually getting phased out um phased out of use uh, those became really popular for home brewers so setting up your own little kegerator at home to keep you know your beers on tap you know that was kind of the kind of the driving force behind it i started brewing okay. a lot more often um you know at some point there was i think i'd probably be brewing a batch every other weekend so, you know to that kind of so phase. two kegs every other weekend uh just one keg one, one keg, keg. Every, yeah one keg every other weekend <laughs> Um, so we naturally had to start having some garage parties and, um, you know, kind of getting people over and sampling the beer. So even before, and I, I didn't even have thoughts of starting a brewery at that point. You know, it was just, this was just having a good time. It was just fun to have my own beer on hand. So, and, and even then I was starting to fine tune some of these recipes. I mean, some of the recipes that we have now, you know, they came from my home brewery days just because, I always like to have a nut brown ale on tap, and that's that's our duck pond. And you know, I always wanted to have some sort of a hoppy beer on tap, and that was fence line. So, huh. even, even before I had thoughts of starting a brewery, I had some of these beers 
dialed in. Something that you like that you just wanted to share with your friends. Yeah, yeah exactly. So how did uh, how did your friends talk you into? I'd have I'd have to assume it was encouragement from friends and peers saying, "Man, you need to sell this stuff." How did yeah, how did it, that kind of turn into a business? You know, it, it. I'd say yes and no. I mean, people enjoyed the beer, but there wasn't a major push to be like, "Oh yeah, you need to you know you buy this because they're getting it for free right away." <laughs> I, I suppose was it? It's like, uh, it's like, oh yeah, this is pretty good. It was. It was really what really drove that was. I started entering home brewing competitions and you know pulling in medals and doing pretty well. So not only I mean everybody likes free beer. So but right. once you start you know going entering into home brewing competitions and putting it out in front of like a blind tasting and other people say that hey this beer is actually really good and so that kind of really drove drove the interest. It's like wow. You know, I could maybe do something with this. Uh, I went through the beer judge certification program, so I, I went through the testing and training to actually become a real beer judge, which is a lot more intense than you think it would. Um, but that was that was, I'd say I'd say entering competitions and doing well in them was kind of the driving force behind some of that. That makes perfect sense. The the beer judge thing. Yes. Um, you're a beer judge. I am. I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> I didn't know that. I, I'm, I'm actually a national rank BJCP judge. You can, you can look it up, bjcp.org. Uh, it's all it's all a volunteer organized organization, and it's central around homebrewing and homebrewing competitions, uh, but it is very well organized. I mean, it, it's a, it, an awesome group of people that, that put this stuff together, and it's it organizes competitions and organizes beer into styles i mean there's there's certain beer styles that kind of ebb and flow through through you know the, all over the world um and so they established kind of some written guidelines to be like okay you know what a pale ale an american pale ale is typically this you know sometimes it'll be a little bit hoppy sometimes it'll be a little bit you know more reserved but generally speaking this is what a, an american pale ale should be and by studying those guidelines you can really kind of delve into it's you know, and, and judging beer against those style guidelines. You know, if, if somebody hands you a, a, an American pale ale versus an English pale ale, there's some different expectations that, that are kind of set up, you know, based on the different beers. So that leads me to two questions. Yeah. One of them, um, the, uh, the beer competitions. Is that a big thing around here? I've never heard of it. It it is well. It's it's a big deal for homebrewers. Um, so it's it's a very big deal for a small group of people. But does it does it happen regularly? It does. Um, I I know in Minnesota there's got to be at least a dozen different competitions that are run uh, throughout the year. Uh, okay. On a, on a regular basis, like these these have been going on, you know, for for tens year tens ten maybe twenty years. I never knew that. Yeah, and it's so it's it's. Homebrewers have the opportunity to send send entries in, um, and then a panel of judges will typically it's broken up. You know, some of the the fest or some of the events are, you know, they get three four hundred entries. Um, so it's broken up. Judges will be divided up, and you you sit down and you typically there's two or three judges judging a flight. So you are given brown ales. You've got eight brown ales in front of you, and each one you go through a, a standardized score sheet that you run through and write comments on, you know, it's like, okay, this is what I'm getting out of it. This is what I'm not getting out of it. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a little too bitter for the style. These flavors don't quite mesh well together. So 
you know, and, and through that score sheet, you're, you're, as a trained judge, you're supposed to give feedback to. It's like, okay, you know what? Next time, maybe use a little bit less hops at this point, you know, or, or you know, check your water profile or your yeast health wasn't quite up to par, you know, check on that. So, so the judge, learning how to become a judge really fine-tuned my beer knowledge and, you know, the experience of, you know, tasting a lot of different beers and really digging into what I was tasting really got me into it. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. So I'm, I'm an old race guy. Mm-hmm. So to the beer guys, this is your race. Every month you have another race. Oh yeah. yeah that's, sure. I didn't know that was a thing. That's really cool. You talked about pale ales. Mm-hmm. What makes a beer an ale, whether it's an IPA or you said American pale ale, yep. Yep. what makes it an ale instead of a beer? Is there a difference? Not really. All all ales are beers, but not all beers are ales. <laughs> uh, there's there's two main two main categories of beer: ale and lager, um, and that's just the type of yeast that's used in brewing it. Um, the the strains they're a slightly divergent strain. Um, the lager strains prefer to ferment cooler, like at around fifty degrees, and ales tend to ferment better at about seventy degrees. So, and because of that temperature difference, lagers will typically be a little bit more crisp. You'll get a like more of a crisp edge. You'll notice a little bit more of the graininess that that from the the base malt um, versus an ale. You generally get a little bit more fruity esters um, produced by the yeast, and it's a little bit more of a softer, rounded profile um, that you get in the finished beer. The reason I ask is, I've always thought IPAs give me a headache instantly. And I wonder what would be the difference. Now I'm sitting here with a beer nerd <laughs> with all this beer knowledge. Maybe you can answer that. You, I can't be the only guy that has uh, that happen. Maybe not. Maybe maybe you've got a sensitivity to hops. Perhaps. I'm a I mean, it's beer just, pussy. It's, well, I, I'm not going to go that far. But uh, as far as the headaches, it, it might just be a sensitive sensitivity to hops. So I mean, oh, that's I, weird. IPAs are typically very hoppy. Um, so they've got a lot of hops in the beer itself. So that's hmm. where you're getting a lot of those piney, resiny, tropical flavors, um, citrus flavors into it. So that might be something. Interesting. Interesting. So you took this beer nerdiness, mm-hmm. um, basically fell in love with making beer, yeah. made all your friends fall in love with drinking beer. Mm-hmm. What made you decide so did you start selling beer out of your garage uh no because there's actually a pretty big hurdle to that you can't legally you have to be a licensed full-on real deal brewery before you can actually sell one drop of beer it's not that you can just you know piecemeal something together and be like okay i got my home brewing equipment you've got to be inspected by the state by the feds by the you know it's it's you can't just dab a lot of your garage um, when it comes to beer. You, you have to kind of go full in. Okay. So. Um, so it's not like you're, I mean, everything's inspected. you got to be safe and clean and pure mm-hmm. and everything. So the first, well, what actually, so, yeah, how did you get into the business? Let's go all the way back to there. So you're in the garage, you're brewing your beer, and now you got everybody liking it. Yep. Now and, what? And it kind of got to a point where it's like, well, I've got all this beer information in my head. I really like making beer and bringing beer to people. You know, well, the first, the first step was, Hey, I should go try to find a brewery to go work at, you know, cause that'd be fun. I mean, I, I jumped around 
you know, being a math and physics major, I jumped around engineering, quality control, you know, jobs like that in the area and never really found anything that really sparked my fancy. So, you know, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed all of that work, but never really got into it. There was always part of me that wanted to kind of do my own thing somewhere. So, you know, the first step would be, Hey, I, I want to go get a job at a brewery. Well, there were no breweries within 60 miles and trying to, you know, carpool that far and it just it just wasn't going to be feasible so started putting together I mean I spent a, probably a good four years just mulling it about looking at what other breweries had done you know what had worked for other breweries and 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 that's the awesome thing about the craft brewing industry you know people are so willing to share information it's great I was going to comment on that too because um you know it seems like so many businesses, they're always in competition and you don't want to share your information, but you guys are literally sending each other, you know, you're sending customers, Hey, go, go try this one out. Go try yeah. that out. Yeah. Um, and you're going to each other's places and you're sharing information. I just think that's amazing. Yeah. So how, how have you found that that actually helps you? It's because beer is still, beer is still enough art that nobody really has it figured out yet so <laughs> it, i mean that kind of come what it comes down to it's everybody's got their own spin that they put on things and i mean if i really wanted to i could probably duplicate just about any beer out there you know it's through enough trial batches and playing around with different ingredients um i could probably replicate most everything that, that's out there and any good brewer should be able to do that but it's just putting your own spin on things and you know the the biggest the biggest challenge in making beer is being consistent you know if you've got something that people come to know and love that you make it the same way every single time so that's that's a, the biggest challenge that a brewery will face but you're always willing to work with each other which i think is a pretty valuable lesson because anybody that wants to start up their own business it's a lot easier if you go get help from people oh, and for sure. ask for people. For and sure. what I've learned is that when I ask for help, people are willing to help. They're okay. willing to give you information yeah. unless they are a direct competitor and they're the only other one. Then, yeah. But I mean, that's not the case yeah. ever hardly. So, well, that's, I, that's, I love the idea of this podcast too, because a lot of times you can pull ideas from other businesses, other completely non-related businesses. I mean, you can look at, you know, it's like what you're doing here with Wild Ass doesn't always apply to what I'm going to do at Jack Pine, but there might be some things that you are doing that will apply. So right. It's, it's, and that's, those are some of the conversations we've had at your place. It's yep. just how, how are you doing? And it's, I, I really appreciate the fact that when I walk in, I know you have, I imagine thousands of customers. And when I do come in, you always take time to come over and say, Hey, how's it going? Yeah. You're making any money yet? How's it going? You know, yeah. you're doing everything, you know, you're doing okay. So I think that's getting, really cool. Are you sleeping yet? Are right. You? <laughs> it is all those behind the scenes yeah. questions that only an entrepreneur would know to ask. Yeah. Um, so the, you said the, how did you say it? The difficulty is in the consistency. Yeah. So how do you measure out ingredients? Because I envision the old, uh, I'm sure the old railroad video where the guy's shoveling the coal into the thing. So mm -hmm. I'm, because I've been to your place so many times, those hops are, not the hops, but the big, huge containers. Yeah. They're yeah. massive. So how do you know exactly how much to put in there? Because I envision you with the snow shovel just shoveling in stuff in there no, going, oh, that should do it. The ingredients are all weighed out. Um, and actually the, the, the new place, the new location, we're, we're able to be a little, a little bit more consistent because we're brewing on a larger scale and we have a lot more opportunities to 
test it as it's in process. So on a brew day, you know, we're measuring the sugar concentration of, of the, the wort, the barley, barley water essentially. And so we can make adjustments on the fly a lot easier with this new system. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I mean, you're dealing with an agricultural product, so, you know, your inputs can vary, but by, you know, tasting it, monitoring it, checking it, it's not like we just throw a bunch of stuff together and two weeks later, boom, we have beer. It, we're checking it and monitoring all the way through the process. And if we need to make adjustments, we make adjustments along the way. Right. So, which is interesting to me. Um, because I think we could find you tons of volunteers to be taste testers, but I'm guessing they're not going to know what they're looking for. Right. They just right. want to drink the beer. Right, right. Well, yeah, you'll, you'll get plenty, plenty of volunteers to drink, but but to really taste and delve into it and and to know what you're looking for, too. Right. We have, we have different, I mean, there's, there's certain components in the beer. You know, one of the examples is diacetyl. It's a butterscotch flavor in the beer. And if you don't let the yeast finish out completely, it will eventually show up in the beer. It, it, the yeast has to reabsorb a compound that will eventually turn into that buttery flavor later down the road. So huh. we, we'll, we'll pull a sample before or when it's done fermenting and we just, it's through a process, you just heat it up and cool it back down and that drives out that diacetyl. And two of our guys at the brewery like are super tasters for it. It's like, I can get a hint of it, but I, I struggle I know that I can't pick it out really well, um, but they can. So it's like, all right, you guys try it. Is it if, if it clears that test, then we know it's ready to move on to the next fit, next stage. Huh, that's crazy. So you get a hint of it, they get it full on. I yeah. probably wouldn't catch it at all. Well, you never know. That's it's, weird. It's and that's where the training comes in. It's you know, training because we don't you don't really know how to taste. I mean, you taste things and whatnot, but to really like delve into it, it's like okay. What exactly am I tasting? And put words to what you're tasting. It's like, oh, that's that's butterscotch cooked or cooked corn or graininess or tropical pineapple, you know, to really kind of gamey, as yeah, everyone gamey, says, gamey, yeah, gamey, that gamey, gamey taste of venison. Yeah. Is gamey a seasoning? I was wondering, I, yeah, can you just pour gamey on your meat? How do, what the hell is gamey? So not sure. <laughs> All right, so now we'll get back on track a little bit. Um, so <laughs> you mentioned the new place. Yes. Yep. I'm aware of the previous place. Mm -hmm. Was that the original? The previous one was the original. Okay, that's yep. what I thought. Um, so that's... talk about that. How did you get from your garage at home to that? Oh, that was quite an adventure. A lot of research online. Um, and that's that's the cool part of the, well, the brewing business. It's like you can dig into it. It's like, okay, what licenses, what licenses do you need? What equipment do you need? Who? What kind of inspectors are going to be through? Um but the downside with that is it's still all kind of up in the air because you're dealing with the federal license, there's state inspectors, but then there's also city zoning. And it, it's, it all kind of depends because nobody really knows what a brewery, I mean, that was six years ago. Nobody, right. nobody really knew what a brewery was and how to treat it. Um, there's different parts of the, of the U.S. that already knew it because breweries had been well established. I mean, we were... I don't know the exact number, but in Minnesota, we were, we were like one of 38 when we got licensed. So wow. it was, so do you know if there was 38, how many of those 30, the other 37 are left? Um, most of them. I'd say okay. there's, there's, there's very few breweries that have shut down. Um, because usually the, the breweries that were up and running, you know, by that time, 
like they started a long time ago. I mean, okay. they were, I mean, you're talking like the summits, the surlies, you know, um, of, you know, shell, I mean, shells has been around. Just curious. It'd be a cool. It'd be a cool piece to say. Yeah, I'm one of the oldest 25 brewers in yeah. the state. Or no, but even no. at 38, you're pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, now there's. I think oh, what's the number up to now? 108, 180 breweries in Minnesota. Wow. So and and a lot of that was driven. I mean, a lot of times breweries are really you know the different states are are more friendly to breweries. Let's put it that way. Um, they changed their laws in advance um, when when smaller breweries started popping up. Um, the biggest change in Minnesota was the pint law, the ability to sell the beer across the counter to a customer. Um, and that's at the highest profit level. I mean, that's, that's the highest profit level you can sell beer in a liquid form. Um, you know, cause you sell it through a distributor, you're making 80 cents a pint, you know, you sell it across the bar and you're making $5 a pint. So it's, it doesn't take long to figure out that a small operation can run pretty good by selling pints only. Huh. Interesting. So that, that, that's why you're seeing, that's why you saw in the past five years an explosion of breweries in Minnesota because that law was changed. That's, that's a good thing then. Yes. So yep. what got you into the original Jack Pine? Uh, a lot of hard work and late nights and beer. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, it, it was kind of the, the, the business plan came first, you know, looking at, you know, pulling together all the, the pie-in-the-sky numbers. Uh, I actually met with the Small Business Development Center here at the Central Lakes College. Uh, met uh, Mike Paulus there. He was the finance finance guy there. So he kind of ran through my numbers, and uh, he he's like, you know, this is great. You've got a good business plan here, but you have no brewing experience. You have no business experience. We need to figure out how to get your beer into the market cheap. You know, find a low-cost way to get your beer on the shelves and, and in the liquor stores. Um, so that's where the first location came in. Uh, it was essentially a oversized build-out of what I had in my garage. And it was the idea was to just get something, get something out there on a cheap basis to, you know, just to kind of test the market and see where... I remember the original place, the first time I went there, I thought, man, this place is cool because you're literally having beer in a guy's garage. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't your garage, but it was an industrial building, but it was, the garage door was up. It was my least garage. I mean, right. Yeah. (laughs) It was was mine for a while, but it was cool. So, um, boy, the struggle of getting money Mm -hmm. that, well, I, I launched with a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, which was pretty cool. Um, it, it got my name out there. Uh, we did raise some funds from it. Uh, but, I mean, looking back, I, I'm not exactly quite sure how we did it. But it's like we pumped, I mean, my wife and I pumped all of our savings into into Jack Pine. And somehow we made it. I mean, I when I, when I quit my job and went full-time at Jack Pine, um, I didn't get a paycheck for a year and a half. So that's something right there that I think people need to realize. So you went a year and a half without a paycheck. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have so many things I want to ask you about the Kickstarter thing, yep, too, because yep. I don't know if you know this. I'm, I'm working on a new, a new product, Ooh. and I think Kickstarter would be perfect, but I don't know any of the details. So um, That might be a whole I, other podcast. <laughs> I, that's going to be something different, but yeah. that's one of the things that I'd like to you and I should sit down and visit about it. I have mm-hmm. a buddy who did a Kickstarter campaign mm-hmm. who funded. Uh, yours funded, I'm assuming. Yep. And if you guys don't know what funded means, 
I can pledge, let's just say I want to donate $25 to, you know, Jack Pine before it started. And um, if the goal is, let's just say $100,000 for even money, um, if it gets to $98,000, I never spend a dime. Yep, if it, it gets to $100,000, then everybody, what they pledged, their money goes out and they get, you know, a t-shirt or whatever it is yep. that you, you promise in this funding deal or the campaign. Um, so I'd have to assume that not everybody knows what Kickstarter is. Six years ago, less people probably knew what yep. it was. Yeah. Um, you had a plaque. I'd have to assume it's in the new place that had all the funders on there. Yep. Yep. Um, and I remember seeing it going, oh, I didn't know about that. I would have been totally on board with this. Yeah. Yeah. But so the whole Kickstarter thing, um, so explain it, just like, you know, just give us two minutes of how that works. Crowdsourcing 101. Um, so it's, it's, it's called a crowdsourcing platform. Um, there's a number of them out there now. Kickstarter isn't the only one. Yeah. Um, some of them, some of them, you, you mentioned like if it's not funded, it doesn't go. Um, that's how Kickstarter builds their model. Uh, there's a few of them. I think there's like a GoFundMe or yeah. I don't know. Just search for crowdsourcing. A ton of them will pop yeah. up. Some of them have different funding levels where it's like, you know, they will, you know, it's not an all or nothing thing. Um, but Kickstarter typically is an all or nothing thing. Um, and you kind of see two different models on it. You know, ours was just kind of a more of a dream model. It's like, we want to do this. We need X amount of capital to make this happen. Um, and if we don't get that, it's it's not going to happen or it won't happen in to the level that we when want, you want it to. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, there's rewards. It's, so it's not really, you're not... You're not buying stock. You're not buying, right. in, you know, it's it's more of like a reward thing. So we had we had special pint glasses. We had special growlers, T-shirts. Um, we had what, what was called the first cut club where you got kind of first dibs on any new batches that we came out as kind of like a private party type of thing. Um, so there's there were different levels um, to that regard. So it was more of a perk level program than ours. But you, there are also like product level um, Kickstarter campaigns. Right. So I'm thinking from the, from your side, from the business side, where if I need to f grab some money, uh, let's just say I want to start this project. It's going to cost me $50,000. I know that I can put this out there. And if this funds, or if this makes it to the $50,000 goal, mm -hmm. I, as a, a dis dreaming entrepreneur can start my business now. Yep. But I lose a percentage of that. I'm sure. Well, usually, I mean, we we set our prizes. I mean, we gave away stuff, special brand yeah. things. So there was a cost in there. Um, ours was a fifteen thousand dollar goal. Goal. Uh, we spent about three thousand dollars on perks uh, between glassware and shirts. And did Kickstarter and get a part of that? Uh, yeah, Kickstarter gets got five percent, I think. Oh, so that's not bad. No, no. So it was it was really decent. And I've seen a lot of you know a lot of product type things. There's there's product type Kickstarters too where basically they need to hit a minimum production run to get their pricing. Yep. So that's, you know, that's where some of those goals, you'll see a lot of like independent games, you know, like board games are, are big now. You get a lot of independent games that's like, okay, we need to hit, you know, whatever, a thousand run order in order to hit this price point, And they kind of work yeah. that into the deal. That so, way we can sell it at a certain price yeah. and everybody makes money. So that's, exactly. I just, you know, not to get too sidetracked on the, the crowdsource funding, um, but just, that's an option. So if people are listening, if you guys are listening and you're 
You're like, man, I have this great idea. You can pitch this product to a, a Kickstarter type mm -hmm. campaign. Well, and the and cool, then the do cool some thing research. about a Kickstarter too is like you, you get to put together a video and you get to pitch. Like that was one of the coolest things. You know, I, I had a buddy of mine that was that was into video and and he offered to put together a video and I got to tell my story. I got to, you know, sit down and put a video out there to say you know, what I was doing, what I was passionate about, and why I was starting a brewery. Is that video out there? Like, it is. is it on YouTube? Is it on your it is. website? If, if you search Jack Pine Kickstarter, it'll pop up. Um, okay. I do have a link on our website, too, but the easiest way to find it is just Jack Pine Kickstarter. That's got to be kind of cool, because you can kind of look back at it and go, damn. Yeah, it's just, I, I look back and I was like, wow, I, I kind of look like I knew what I was doing, but it's you look back and it's like this guy has no idea what he's getting himself into. Has <laughs> <laughs> no idea. So, so the Kickstarter got you into the original location. Yep. Um, how long were you there? Um, four years. Four years. We were it was there. that long. It was. Yeah. Um, of course, the new the new location took probably a year and a half to to. Plan right. Plan. So I remember talking to you throughout the building of the new facility and yep. the move and all of that. So how big of a headache was that? So as a business owner, the reason I bring this up is mm -hmm. because not too many people get to see all the behind the scenes. So now you're not only just putting up a building. Yeah. This is a commercial building with a brewery in it. Yep. So you have all these rules. Yeah. You have to put all these new, you had lots, all new equipment in the place. It was, um, yep. So... You know, a lot of times when people come by, they have a beer, which I don't think is overpriced, and they go, "Man, this guy's just making a killing." So, yeah. <laughs> so it certainly has that impression. It, <laughs> that, oh, it's an amazing building. Yeah, so, yeah. talk so, us through that a little bit. Yeah. So the the old space was it was really a shoestring project. I mean, I I built. I had a, you know some awesome volunteers that that helped me out along the way. Uh, we built everything in that building by hand. I mean, it was, it was all, you know, we put up the walls. I mean, it was, it was an open building or it was an open warehouse uh, when I started leasing it. So going through that process and then it's like every winter there was a new building project. It's like, okay, I need more fermenters. You know, let's, let's add them, let's build a cooler and, and add another, add another cold room for the fermenters. And it got to a point where we didn't have any more room to build. Um, I was self-distributing um, starting out, and that's another state law thing that allows small breweries to kind of get a foothold is I don't have to go through a distributor. I can go. So I was literally the one in, well, I had a small car at the time, mm -hmm. a little Toyota Matrix that I'd throw three kegs in the back and, you know, go hit up, a, go hit up restaurants and drop a keg off. Um, to you know, I had a salesperson for a little little time, a little bit of time. Um, I hired a delivery driver, part-time delivery driver in there, um, and grew it to a point where uh, I actually sold the distribution rights to a local distributor because it got to a point where it's like I can't do this anymore. Sure, it's like either you know, there's there's really no there was no money in the distribution side um, on a, as a small brewery, but I knew at some point I could sell those brand rights to a distributor, and that really got that drove the new location um, because you know partnering with a distributor it's like okay they can get a lot more beer out there a lot more efficiently so we need a bigger brew system you know bigger tanks um, and the the canning line as well so that was kind of the big move to the new location was to be able to supply 
the distributor that we signed with with enough beer. So they were they were a good partner with that. They were excited about bringing on the brand and and helping it grow. That seems like a pretty good problem to have. It was, yeah. But yeah, now we're in a much bigger location, and it's yeah. I mean, it's it's doing it's going well, but I also have a giant bank loan to pay off every, every month. <laughs> you only hit the new location one day a month. Yeah, actually two days because it's broken up into, into two different two different <laughs> payments. Um, but yeah, it's so the numbers are just a lot bigger now. But it's still, I mean, the margins are still pretty thin and you really have to watch, you know, you watch your expenses and, and payroll and it's it's all a juggling act. It's still, you know, it, it doesn't feel like I'm hitting it big time yet. You say yet. Um, which is probably the right word, but uh, you, you look at that building, it is a beautiful building. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. That it's moving joy. moving out of where you were mm -hmm. to where you are has to be just huge increase in foot traffic. It, it is. I mean, we're, yeah, our tap room's about double, um, just because we didn't have the space at the old location. I mean, we were packed on a Friday and Saturday. We didn't have a patio. Um, we... I mean, we were edging into the production space. Like, the, if you remember, kind of our overflow taproom space was right above the floor drain where we did all of our cleaning <laughs> Monday through Thursday. <laughs> and then we moved everything out of the way so we could open the taproom um, on the weekend. So it was it was a it was a clear need, um, a clear opportunity for us to to build um, and kind of expand to where we did. And it did work out. I mean, we're hitting we're hitting the numbers that we we thought we did, um, or thought we could hit. So yeah, that's awesome. And now you weren't open seven days a week before. No, right? we you were, were just uh, like weekends, if I remember. Like well, it's a Thursday to, to, to Saturday. Start, to start, it was well. The first couple months, it was just Friday and Saturday, and that's it. And yep. then we gradually expanded. Um, I think in the old location when we moved out, we were only closed on Mondays. Uh, or no, Monday, Tuesday. We were yeah. closed on Monday and Tuesday because those were kind of our days to, you know, we, we didn't have to move everything out to clean it and, you know, clean up, you know, for the tap room. So that was handy. Uh, now we have a separate space so we can be brewing while the tap room's open now, which is, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's cool. And it looks really neat. I like the way you have the glass in there so you can see, mm -hmm. you can't really see what's going on, but you can see right. all the equipment. Right. It's right. very cool. So you moved into the bigger building, um, Foot traffic is way better. Mm -hmm. You're open. Are, are you open seven days a week? Sundays are, too, right? We are open seven days a week. Yep. So what? How did? Wait, you can buy beer now on Sundays. You can. That's right. Yep. I yep. forget about that. Actually, the tap rooms were the first ones. Um, the the state changed the tap room law um, the year before liquor stores got the Sunday sales. So we were we were able to open up the tap room on a Sunday um, before the liquor stores could sell beer on Sundays. Um, I remember I kind of lost my train of thought, but I remember what I was going to say. The old location, if you didn't know somebody that knew of Jack Pine, I mean, you didn't get a lot of brand new stuff in there, new traffic necessarily, no, did you? It was all referrals. No. It was, and yeah, it was, it was referrals. We we got some, you know, like weekends, Saturdays, you could tell, especially, you know, I mean, when we started, we were the only brewery in the area. And then, you know, a year and a half later, um, another brewery opened up and a couple more. So now we've got a, a decent number in the area. And as soon as that third brewery opened, we started to see kind of that beer tourism traffic. Where okay. you know, it's like Saturday, Saturday, all we were serving were flights. 
I mean, it was it was flight heavy on a Saturday. People come in and get a beer flight and you know explore what what we. So had. to somebody that does not has not been to a brewery because mm-hmm. a lot of people say I don't like that crap. You know, yeah. I used to drink my Coors Light or whatever. But yeah. a flight of beer, explain that. It, it's I mean, normally you, you just go to go to a bar, beer, whatever you, you buy a pint or a glass of beer. Uh, or 22 ounce, whatever you're trying to get. Um, right. But but breweries, uh, most often you'll go, you know, if it's, if it's new, if you haven't been there before, you don't know what you like, you know, you get a flight, which is what we do is five small glasses of beer. So you get four ounces of five different beers. So you end up with 20 ounces of beer. But you get to pick, at least at, at Jack Pine, you get to pick which ones. You know, we have up to 20 different beers on tap at any given time. So you can pick through. It's like, oh, okay, I want to try these five different beers in a flight. And they can, so this is the kind of the cool thing. So I brought my dad there. He had never been to a microbrewery. Mm-hmm. Is that what they're called still? And that's, I, I don't remember where terms, that came from. But terms. yeah, anyway, to yeah. your place. He'd never been to one like it. And you can just kind of talk to your beer tenders mm-hmm. and say, hey, you know, I normally drink yeah. Coors Light or I normally drink Mick Light. And your guys can suggest, okay, here, yeah. here are the five that are closest yeah. and have just a short discussion and recommend it, right? Yep, yep. And we do, we go through a lot of, you know, staff training and, and education. Of course, they sample as well, huh? I'm just trying to try the beer. <laughs> um, you know, pretty much everyone that works there is a super fan. So, um, but yeah, they, they, it's it's real non-pressure. It's like you can explore what you, you know, what do you... Most of the time, you, you know, I, I like to go off recommendation. It's like, okay, what do you normally drink? What do you, what have you had that's, you know, what's your go-to beer? And then we usually have something that's close to that. So you find out what their go-to beer is, which there's, so there's a few different ways I, I, that this pops into my head. You got this list of 20 beers. Now mm-hmm. I'm confused. Yeah. Which could be a deterrent for people. But if I'm going to come up and ask you and you're going to say, what do you normally drink? Yeah. You're going to help me so I have a good experience because you want me back. Right. So you want me to have good beer. You want me to try something that's a little bit different. Right. Um, so people don't be afraid of trying out any of these places, but yeah. especially yeah. Jack Pine because it's easy to find. It's yeah. right there. It's a big, beautiful building. And, and I, I think that's, that's really what it, the, the good microbreweries are doing. It's like they're you know, not only just a place to go and drink beer, but they the good ones are educating people. It's like they're helping people explore the world of beer and not just provide a spot to drink. Do you have, maybe you have these um, like beer tastings or like nights where people can come in and every like night's a tasting. learn well, every night's a tasting night. <laughs> we, right. <laughs> we, we, we've done a few, um, I've done a few classes like beer school classes. Yeah, there's where, what I'm looking for. Yep. So I, I'll go through, um, we've done that twice now. Um, and, you know, just kind of sit down and, and educate people about beers. Um, we do, uh, every Saturday at 2 o'clock, we do a brewery tour. So one of the brewers is is there giving a tour and kind of showing you how the beer is made um, and, you know, kind of delving into some of the ingredients that way too. I've, I have seen a couple of times where you've done the brew tour. I didn't know that that was every Saturday at 2. Every Saturday at 2, yeah. Interesting. Do you need to pre-register no, or you just, just show, show up. up? Yeah, just show up. How many people come to that? Um, we usually have about 12 people. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more, um, anything more than 20 or so, it gets a little crowded. Um, sure. And it's just, people tend to, I like smaller, smaller tours just because people tend to ask more questions. Yeah. So. And you do canning right there. You said you had the canning line. Yep. We've got our own canning line right in house. Um, and so we can can 
anything we want. Um, we actually have, um, and in order in order to order a run of printed cans, you have to get an entire truckload of cans, which is one hundred ninety thousand cans. That's a, that's a semi load of a cans. A semi load of cans, and it's it's full. <laughs> so for the, trivia buffs, it's yeah. one hundred ninety thousand cans to right. fill a semi trailer. Right, and they're they're not your standard pallets either. They're they're the larger pallets, and ones in straight, ones in sideways, and it's you literally can't get another can inside of that semi. It's it's crazy when you have to order a order a run. So what we do, um, we've got a setup where we order kind of a base printed can, um, but then we put a, label, a clear label on the, on the outside of it. So we can do any brand we want. If we want to do a short run of cans, we can just order another label and, and put anything into it. So I thought the cans were just plain aluminum and the label was wrapped all the way around it. Is that different? Um, most, most beer cans out there are just printed. Like they are just full on printed right on the can. Um, but the smaller craft breweries, you're seeing a lot of different options for craft breweries. Yeah, for yours, I thought they yeah. were just plain aluminum cans, and you that nope. whole thing was a sticker. No, nope. if you peel off that sticker, it's actually a clear sticker on there, and the wood grain is behind it. Oh. The wood grain is actually printed on the cans. Huh. Look at me learning stuff today. There you go. <laughs> you have to start peeling the labels off your I've cans. I've seen, yeah, right? I've seen pallets of cans in there, yeah, yeah. Um, but... Yeah. Um, well, Assume we do. They were the, full. No, the the crawlers as well. We do, um, which are the giant seven fifty milliliter cans. Uh, we do those in the tap room, um, and those are just on. Those are just a blank. Those aren't pre printed at all. Uh, we we stick a label on that one. Um, they're blank cans. Are those put on by hand, or is it a machine? We've got a, a fairly simple machine that that puts those labels on. So Interesting. I'm gonna have to check that out. Do you, do they get to see it in motion on Saturday? Uh, no, we don't fire any of that stuff up on Saturday. I imagine you'd have other issues there, like people's dog hair getting caught behind a label. I mean, nothing on purpose, but yeah. it just happens. I suppose you have to keep the environment. Well, clean. and a lot of, I mean, especially with the big canning line, it's, it's, you kind of have to set it up and get it running. You know, it's not like you can manually feed one can through the process. It, it kind of has to, the, I mean, there's a conveyor belt and, and a feeder system and, and you can't just, hey, I'm going to can two hmm. cans of beer. It's, it's, you got to set up to run a decent amount. I suppose. Yeah. So we talked about the doing the crowdsource funding and getting that. You, you mentioned you had to get a bank loan. Now you are, are you the oldest brewery in town? Yes. So explain, so I've gotten to experience this a little bit. The difficulty in getting a bank on board with doing something completely unknown. Ooh, that's fun. Um, well, we, when we started the original place, uh, there was no loan. Um, we could play the 0% 18-month credit card game for a while. <laughs> um, I've, I've done that numerous times now. Um, that's always fun. Um, but, yeah, it was luckily, lucky for us. I mean, the way, the way we worked or the way I planned the expansion, um, we were able to sell the distribute distribu distribution rights um, and use that as a 10% down for an SBA loan. Um, because we were an existing business and we were putting up a new building, we were able to roll all of that into one SBA loan. Um, and again, I got help um, from Mike Paulus at, at Central Lakes College, the small business development Yeah, I've, I've dealt with yep. Julie there quite a bit. Yep. They're phenomenal. Yep. I can't yep. believe how fast they can get through those spreadsheets oh, and man. tell you the information that you may or may not want to hear. I know. Well, you need to hear it. And yeah, exactly. But <laughs> you don't want to hear it. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, but yeah, it was, so they were, they were really helpful in that. Um, we were able to put together a proposal and bid it out to a number of banks and we, we had a lot of, I mean, we had bank offers. I mean, we had like four, four wow. bank offers to pick from, which was, which was great. Um, that is cool. Yeah. So I have not gotten that lucky. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it's time to revisit that on my right, side. Of right. Things, well, and now it's, we're three years old. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot different when you have some experience and and have some well sales history. You you got numbers to to show, and you know if you can show you know prove out some projections that okay you know this is where we're at and this is where we're going. Um, you know if you if you know your numbers, it it's pretty easy. I mean, a bank just wants their money back. That's what they want. Right. Um, and they want to be pretty pretty. Uh, confident that you're that they're going to get it back now building a whole new brewery i mean that place was not cheap so there were some very large numbers that went into that i just want to know how much those big huge wood beams were on the front oh, see i don't <laughs> those I don't are know. more than probably some people's cars yep yep when the when the architect put those together uh, and i'm just like you know what i don't even want to know what it costs it looks really cool it's like can you just roll it into the big number <laughs> it's like i don't want that one broken out because that one looks really cool so I've had to go through it now. You're, you've gone through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going through it, I should say. But the, uh, the ability to continue without the bank support requires a huge amount of determination, head down, keep working. Yep. You're not going to get paid. I mean, you're not getting a paycheck. And I'm not saying now, but if somebody's looking to start something, and especially if it's new, which mm-hmm. is super scary in its own, but you got to fund this thing and figure out ways and rob Peter to pay Paul and work every angle you can to get rolling. Now, you know, you're at the point you're making your numbers. It's all worth it. Yeah, it it is. It is. I mean, we have a, a, we have my dream brewery. I mean, it's, this is, this is what I wanted. And of course I didn't know that that's what I wanted when I started six years ago. (laughs) Um, But you know, to have, you know what I what I call a real brewery. I mean, our old place was super cool, but it was it was cobbled together. It was um, it wasn't built to last, um, and our new location is it's built to last. I mean, we're going to be set for for years, you know, you know, decades, you know, going forward in our new spot. Well, I know for sure you're not going anywhere. The old place you uh, you said it wasn't built to last, which reminded me then of some of the comments you made earlier. People came and helped you as volunteer stuff. Um, how beneficial is it for you to be able to ask for help when you need it? Oh, amazing. I mean, just, and opinions too, and asking, you know, other business owners, uh, like my, my old landlord was great. You know, I could, I could talk business numbers with him and he, you know, he'd help me out too. In fact, I, I mean, I'm not leasing the space anymore and I, I just got a call from him, you know, this weekend, you know, just to, he's just curious, you know, wants an update. Of course, he had some questions about beer too. So, sure. Um, but yeah, just the, the ability to, I mean, reach out to your network. I mean, there's so many people that, you know, if you're enthusiastic and if you have, you know, a passion for what you're doing, um, there are people that, want to see that passion go and it's want to see you succeed. And one thing you mentioned was seek opinions. The, uh, I think a big part of that is if I'm going to ask you for your opinion, you may tell me something I don't want to hear, Yeah. but I have to know that you're not saying that to me personally to offend me or to deter me, whatever. No. I asked you for an opinion and I have to accept it. Yeah. Um, a lot of people think, uh, you know, that they're just, 
they just don't want to see you succeed. They don't whatever. And they end up taking things personally. And now I don't like you because you're a jerk and you just yeah. didn't want to help. When that's not the case, you yeah. have to look at these well, people's some, opinions. Sometimes it is the case. <clears throat> sometimes, <laughs> it is. Sometimes, sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Sometimes but, you, I mean, you, have to take, you have to take opinions with a yeah, grain of salt. But, the, that, but that's the thing. It's like, I mean, when I talk to you about, you, you know, wild ass, it's like, okay, I want to hear your story. And, you know, some of the stuff I can bring back to me, some of it does apply to me at Jack Pine, but some of it doesn't. And, and to know the difference between the two. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, some of the things, some things might be kind of painful and be like, oh, yeah, that actually really does apply to me. Well, and what I'm trying to say is a lot of people, they just take offense to it. But you have to, one thing I've learned is you have to back away from the situation and understand that these yeah. guys are giving you opinions out of care yeah. or love or whatever you, yeah. whatever word you decide to use. They're really trying to help. And if you, if you don't like what they had to say, sometimes you have to step out of that I'm offended state and go, why did he say that? Yeah. And, you know. If I found if you do that, oftentimes you're you take that feedback better yeah. and you're more constructive with yeah. it. So well, I'm a numbers guy, so it's like I always have to back it up with numbers. It's like okay, right. you know what? Yeah, and <laughs> I'm I'm glad you think about that, but it's like okay, now can I flush that out with a number? Can, is there something I can research? Is yeah, it's like what you know, what is what's going to work? And then the other thing you said is you know sometimes they are just jerks. Well, right. <laughs> I learned at a young age from my dad. You always got to consider the source. Yeah. You know, because sometimes the guy's just a dick. Yeah. I mean, and then you got to ask yourself, why did I even ask him? Yeah. Yeah. So that happens too. But no, ask ask for help. People love to help. People love to, you know, physical labor too. I mean, that seems to be mm -hmm. easy to find. Yeah. You know, if, if you need something, you can ask a buddy and they'll go, yeah, I'll come and help you out. Yeah. yeah. But you also have to be mindful too, you know, if, if someone's volunteering, you, know, you treat them well. I mean, right. my, my main job when we were doing some of our building projects, I was, I was keeping people fed. Yeah, yeah <laughs> fed exactly. And, fed and hydrated and keep the tunes going. That was yeah. my main job. Don't be afraid to ask for help, but don't abuse the help. Yeah. Yeah. Just you know, like, treat the help like you want to do it yourself. Yep. Yep. It's like, or I, I was, I was the one that would run to the hardware store and it's just like, okay, Home Depot's right down the road. It's like, what, what do we need? Okay. We're running out of this. We're running out of this. We're running out of this. Okay. I'll, I'll be back in 30 minutes to keep you going. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, use help when it, when it's available. Um, uh, but then, like long term too, you know, I mean, we ran the the tap room, the original tap room, with volunteers for a while. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't very long, you know, before I realized that you know what this is a this could be a paying job, and you know it's like I can pay someone to do this, and I'm still making money off of it. It's it's there's a return here. So I mean, the one of one of my you know one of the brewers that I talked to early on. You know, his comment was, it's like, well, how many pints of beer do you need to sell to pay for that person behind the bar? And then when you think of it that way, it's like, oh, I should hire somebody now. Well, and another thing to look at is how many pints does it take to hire them? But now that you've got a donated employee instead of rotated volunteers, mm -hmm. and you love the rotated volunteers because you get a change of personality every time. But the flip side is the the hired employee now knows better what to suggest when people come in so now you're going to yeah. sell more pints of beer so you're going to spend a little bit of money yeah. and you're going to make a little bit more so for sure. yeah, for sure. it's a fair trade you can train them you can you can put more time into training training your staff and you know it's because we are we're a customer service based industry and the more they know about our you know the beer and and what we do the the better they can be at selling it i would agree so hiring your employee was your 
your first big step. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Quitting your job was your first big yep. step. How yep. long in getting started? Let's go back to that. How long did you work while you had the tap room? Um, it was really only about three months. Um, oh, so you um, jumped right in. Yeah. Luckily, I had a I had a really uh, my my former boss was was great and was supportive of the idea. Um, I had a, uh, I was at a, a manufacturing shop here in, in, uh, in, it was actually in Ironton, uh, Marauder Research in Ironton. Um, they, uh, they worked four tens, uh, as a machine shop and I cut back to three days a week for a while, three tens, um, just kind of gradually. So not only did I quit my job, I was already pulling back from my former job even before the brewery opened. Um, I think when, when I opened in January of 2013, um, I was down to two days a week there, and then it got to a point where it's like, you know what, I am I am far too busy. I am thinking about what I should be doing at the brewery while I'm working, and that's not fair. It's like I gotta go. Right. So it's I, I can see the potential there at some point. That so the real hero in this sounds like it's probably your wife. She is amazing. She's been she's been my biggest critic through through everything, um, but also my biggest supporter. And she was, she was my, she's always been my, my sounding board. Um, and if I can convince her that something's a decent idea, then I've, I, that's kind of the proof in the, the, the proof that, Hey, this is probably a good idea. So yeah, she was, she was pretty afraid. Um, you know, when I started digging into the business plan and coming with this, this idea to start a brewery and she's like, okay, where's this going? This is, I mean, she loved beer. I mean, she was, she was my, she was my best beer drinking buddy. Um, <laughs> She she has different tastes than I do, but we both really appreciate you know good beer, and but yeah, it's she's she's been wonderful through the whole process, and you know her her parents own their own business too, so they uh, you know so there's kind of an entrepreneurial spirit in the family. Perfect, that's cool. So and we you get to meet her not every night at Jack Pine, but she's there. Oh, yeah. um, I know. Oh, yeah. Renee and her just, you know, Renee just loves her. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's she's pretty awesome. cool. She does, in. she uh, volunteers uh, on Mondays to do my books. So volunteers, yeah, more volunteers, volunteer help. Yeah, so yeah. awesome. Coming through this whole deal, the Kickstarter campaign, the, the setting up the stuff at the original place, moving into this, you've had to overcome all these challenges. What would you say now? I mean, I don't believe the challenges ever stop. Oh, they don't. So what would you say now, six years into business? would be your biggest challenge currently? Um, probably my biggest challenge is letting go. Um, I've, I've been so involved with literally every aspect of the business, um, kind of up and, well, not up until this point, but gradually bringing on new people um, in, in like management roles, um, trying to figure out what that next step is, what that next position is, how, who do I hire? Um, I just brought on a salesperson um, to do outside sales. Um, he comes from the tap room, but he's going to do part-time outside sales. Just trying to, now it's people management, trying to manage, you know, the, the people that are working at Jack Pine and making sure that we've got all of the roles filled and everybody's doing what, what needs to be done rather than me just doing all of them. Right. So in order to grow, we're going to have to do that to kind of hand things off and it's like I don't need to control everything anymore it's like, <laughs> it, it, well and I can't otherwise right? you lose way too much sleep it's like okay now it's you know figuring out okay can stuff run essentially without me I mean it, it won't run without me because I'll, I'll always be really involved but you know having 
getting it to a point where things can do, you know, let other people, you know, do do things, you know, when I'm not there and be responsible for things. That's uh, that's an interesting point because it's hard to let go it is. when it's, I mean, it's your baby. So yeah. anybody starting a business, yeah, you want to micromanage, mm-hmm. but we all have to think back to when we were micromanaged and how much we hated it. Yeah. So counterproductive, you know, you're trying to do the right thing because it's your deal. You want to make sure it goes right. But, but a know. lot of that's, I mean, you have to, you can't just let go and leave people hanging too. Right. It's like, there's, there's a lot of effort that goes into, it's like, okay, well, this is how I've done it. You know, maybe you can do it better. But, you know, here are some of the guidelines that these are the things that can't change. Um, Everything else, go for it. You know, and and, but having having the foresight or the the, having the time to sit down and figure out what can't change is 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 a challenge. Oh, I'm sure. No, you seem to have a good group. Everybody there seems to be really happy. You know, I I don't know that I've ever seen a disgruntled employee. So you must be an okay guy to work for. I guess so. I don't know. How, How long have they... How long has, has your employees been there? Um, we have a very low turnover. I think we've had, you know, in the six years we've been running, we're up now to five full-time and eight part-time. Um, you know, some are, the part-timers are sometimes maybe one shift a week in the tap room. Um, but I think we've had five people leave in the six years, and half of those moved away. No, so, that's... So, no, I, I, I like... That's good. I treat people really well, uh, or at least I'd like to think I do. Um, and I think our low turnover rate, um, because I want, I want Jack Pine. I mean, Jack Pine, a brewery is kind of all about fun. I mean, it's, it, it should be fun. You know, you're dealing with the public, people are coming in and getting a beer. I mean, people have a good time at a brewery, so it's, it's good to, I mean, it's, it's a fun place to work. What is it that makes, now that you say that, what is it that makes a brewery so much different than a bar? So you go to a bar, you sit at the bar and you hear the bitching and complaining or whatever. I don't know that I've ever heard. Why is that? Well, yeah, you, you get some of that, but do it, you? Yeah, it's, but it's not much, I, is it? I I don't know. I I guess I'm not really, I'm not really sure why. There's not um, tavern games. There's not darts. There, I mean, yeah, it's just we have, we have board games. Totally different it's, environment. It's, it's it's cool. Yeah, it's 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 just a different vibe. I mean, it is. If you're going to a brewery, you're you're limited. It's like you can't. There's no wine. There's no booze. There's no you know. There's no cheap beer. It's just you're 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 just there to enjoy the beer. It, it's kind of a choice to go there um, rather than just well, it's just my neighborhood bar. I'm just gonna you know go hang out for beer. Yeah, no, it's it's cool. So I just I just random question. That's all. Yeah, I guess I don't I don't really have a that's a really good question. I don't know if I have a great answer to that. It just it just is. It just is. <laughs> it just is a good place to hang out. So that's uh, that's probably a good note to end it on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, Patrick, tell us where we can follow you, find you, like you, uh, your Jack Pine stuff, your personal yep. stuff, whatever Web- you want to share. Website's jackpinebrewery.com. Um, find us on Facebook and Instagram, uh, Jack Pine Brewery. Just search for that on, on both of those. Uh, you can find us there. Uh, Facebook is probably the biggest push if you're looking for up-to-date information. Um, I'm on that quite a bit, um, and Instagram. Facebook and Instagram. Jack Pine Brewery. At Jack Pine Brewery, you'll find you on both places. Yep. Um, so, folks, thanks for listening. Patrick, thank you for coming in. Yeah, thanks this for having been, me. Absolutely. This has been a pleasure. Um, if you guys like what you're hearing, make sure you 
let me know. You can get a hold of me through Facebook, Instagram, all those same things. You can search at Workin218. There's no G in there. It's just Workin218. We are the Workin218 podcast. Workin218 at gmail.com. Send me some info. If you got business owners that would like to get on this show and maybe share some information or maybe just people that are looking for help, that's what we're here for, right, Patrick? Absolutely. So if someone's got advice, they can reach out to you or stop in, have a beer, and uh, you'd be willing to help them out? Oh, for sure. Yeah, hit me up. Uh, my personal email, uh, patrick at jackpinebrewery.com. Uh, reach out to me if you have any questions. I'm glad to help. Awesome. Thank you, Patrick. You guys, thanks for listening. We'll be back in a week with another episode. Thank you all.